You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church in Midlothian, Texas. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, visit stonegate-church.com. Why don't you turn, turn to uh, Genesis chapter 1 and 2. We're going to be right in there today. Great to see you. I'm, I'm going to try to go really quick because I really don't want the left side of your face looking like a lobster when we leave, right? <laughs> and so we're going to try to hustle. Um, that's the deal. Okay, so, so I'm, I'm just gonna start out, and really this is, this is the question of the morning that, that I want you just to consider. Is do people know you? Do people really know you? Um, and, and here's the reason that I ask that question, is because we live in an age, just kind of a culture marked by isolation. Wouldn't you agree with that? That we've got more connecting technology than we've ever had before. We've got, um, iPads, text messaging, Face, I mean, all this connecting technology, right? And we've got um, all these connecting places, a.k.a. Starbucks and coffee shops, the like, right? So we've got all these connecting places, all this connecting technology, and yet people still don't know each other. I mean, isn't that an ironic thing? There's six billion people on the planet, and yet, like the, George Gallup, he did this poll a couple of years ago. He was kind of monitoring the lives of people in America, and here's what he commented after doing these polls on American people. In the midst of all this connecting technology, all these connecting places, the Americans are the loneliest people on the planet. I think it's just an interesting observation, right? And so now when you think about culturally what this looks like, that that people live for years in a neighborhood and don't know their neighbors, that that people um, come to church for years and don't have deep biblical authentic relationships you know i mean this is just a cultural phenomenon okay now take the step further a step further here and put this in the context of the church that, that when you think of isolation it isn't just a cultural issue it's a church issue that people walk into services like this and sit in churches like this for years and really don't know people isn't that an interesting thing I mean, people walk in and out. I think it's primarily because we've got a wrong view of what the church is. That that we view church as a place where we come and listen to a service. Okay, now hear me on this. The church is not a place that you come to. It's not a place that you come to to hear a service like this. To hear some good songs, a good... It's not a place that you come to, right? Think about your vocabulary. Because our vocabulary gives away that we have some wrong impressions and some wrong beliefs in our heart about what the church is. If somebody were to ask you this morning, what did you do, or maybe this afternoon, what did you do this morning? What, what, what happened this morning? If your response is this, and I think it would be for most of us, right? If your response is, I went to church, it gives away that there's some faulty beliefs about what church is in your heart. Because when you go, you're essentially saying that I'm going to a place. That when you're going to like a place where a service is going to be had, where people, you're going to a place. Okay, now think about this. The Bible does not call the church a service, right? In Ephesians 2, um, here's what the Bible says. When when we're saved, when the gospel redeems us, that that we're transported into and, and moved into, adopted into the household of God. So the church is not a service that you go to, it's a people that you go to live with. See the distinction with that? That the church is called a family in the Bible. And so it's not a place that you go to hear a service and and hear something said, it's a people that you go to live with. Okay, now let me stop here. Is that happening in your life? Are, Are you seeing church as a people that you're doing life with? 
Like we could say a lot about church as a family, a lot, bring out a lot of implications for that. But just think about this as far as church family as it relates to your family and families in general. That good families, we would all say this about good families, that they know each other, right? Good families know one another. They know what's happening in each other's lives. And so at the least we could say this about a church family, that they should know you. Right? I mean, they should know what's happening in your life. Under the surface, biggest fears that you have. Sinful tendencies in your heart. That they should know these things. Like, this is what a family does. Let me ask you this question again. Do people know you? Oh, there's a bee. (laughs) Y'all can know this about me. I have a bee phobia. Anything with a stinger, I'm out, right? Okay, so, so do people, (laughs) y'all have no idea how much that really scared me. Um, so, so here's the, <laughs> the, the question is this, do people, do people know you? Do people know you? Okay, now think about in, in typical church world, people don't know each other. I'm going to say this again, that it's real typical for people to walk in and out of church for years at a time without letting people get to know them, without letting people behind the facade of I've got life together. I want to clue y'all in on this. We know you don't have life together. Okay, we know that. We know your marriages aren't perfect. We know, I hope you know my marriage isn't perfect. We know your life isn't perfect. Your kids aren't perfect. There's nothing in your life that's perfect. Like we know those things. So we don't have to bring up and put down this facade to tell people that it is, right? So do you see church as family? Do people know you? Okay, now I think this, this scenario happens way too often in church. Let me throw this scenario out to you and just think of the implications of this. Here's the scenario. A person is teaching Sunday school for years. We'll just say 15 years. They're a deacon in the church, a major servant in the church. And out of nowhere, and this is a typical scenario in a church, out of nowhere, they come to you and say, we, I'm going to have to stop teaching. I'm out. And then you ask the question, why is that? And here's the response. My wife and I are getting a divorce. And my first response is, what, what is, where did that come from? Right? Like, you're teaching one week and you're here the next and nobody knows. And think about that. This is normal, typical scenario in a church. Divorces always have a lead up, right? And what happens is we, we put up this facade. When people ask the question how we're doing, it's always good, right? We put up this facade that life is together when it's not. So here's the question. Do people know you? And here's the angst that I have, and we're not going to spend long on this this morning, but here's the angst that I want to try to communicate to you this morning, is that we want to be a people who are fighting hard against what's typical in church. That, that we want to be a people who are fighting hard toward, like from isolation and toward community. Like it's not okay for us to have people that plant their life at Stonegate, like in this church family, and nobody knows them. That's, we don't want that for you. We're fighting hard against that. Okay, so Genesis chapter 2. Go there with me. Genesis chapter 2. Okay, so remember that context. Genesis 1 is big picture. God is creating land, star. He's creating everything. He ends with man at the end of Genesis chapter 1. And then chapter 2 is the, is the zoomed in version of him essentially telling the same story, but him zooming in on the creation of man and woman. Okay, now in, in verse 15, I want to read this to you again. Verse 15. We'll start there. The Lord God took the man, so he's created him, he he took the man, and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, you will surely die. Verse 18. I want you to, I want, I mean, I pray that maybe this morning this, 
these couple of words would just be imprinted in your heart and on your brain. Verse 18, then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. That's not a good thing. He goes on to say, I'll make a helper fit for him. I'll never forget um, one of our interns. This has been six or seven years ago that used to work with us in a student ministry that we were working at. We were talking through this passage. And man, this, this girl wanted to be married bad. You know a woman like that? I mean, this was a single lady wanted to be married. Like if there's a, like a, a scale of one to 10, I want to be married. She was a 12 on that scale. Okay, so she wanted to be married. Here's what she came up and asked this question, kind of as we were walking through this passage. She said, do I, like, is, do I need a husband? Like, is that a need that God has created in me? Okay, so I want you to be clear on what this passage is teaching. I don't think this passage is teaching that you need a spouse. I think it's teaching that dogs won't do it for you, right? I mean, I love dogs, but it's saying, Dogs are not going to fill the relational void that a human being has. To communicate with the dog, you've got to bark, right? Okay, so this is the idea. They're just not going to fill the relational void that a human being has. Here's what God is saying. That, okay, now just take this thought here. That you need community. That you need people around you that know you. That it's not good for you to be alone. That you need other human beings, other people who know you, like the inside of you. Like no greatest fears, no, no sinful tendencies that know you, that rejoice with you when you rejoice, that weep when you weep. People that know you, you need that. Now, I hope you get a sense of this this morning. Like if there's one primary thought, this is it. That you need community. It's not good for you to be alone. So the question, do people know you, is vital for your life. Because if people do not know you, you are missing out on one of the needs that God's created you to have. This relational void. Okay, let me give you a couple of reasons why, or a couple of things um, that, that you need out of communities, that community provides for you. Without community, without deep, authentic relationships that you don't have. Let me give you a couple of these. First, if you don't have community, you don't have clarity about your life. C- community creates clarity for you. Okay, I want to clue y'all into something that's not an overly flattering thought. Okay, here, here's the, the clue in. You have dysfunction. Do you know that? You have some dysfunction in you. Now, we could ask your wife or your husband, and they would tell you that really quickly, right? But we all have dysfunction in us. It's not a matter of if you have it. It's a matter of if you see it clearly and if you're being corrected in it. That's the issue. But we all have dysfunction. And now, think about this too. Dysfunction is hard to see because we all listen to our own line of logic, and we all buy into our excuses, right? So dysfunction is really hard to see in us. This is what, um, if you remember, um, like if you're a driver, you, you know this, right? There's a thing called blind spots. That's what we're talking about here. Th- th- these dysfunctions oftentimes are blind spots for people. Just things that make it really difficult to see in yourself that everybody else knows. And here's what blind spots produce in people. They make people that guy or that girl. Y'all know that guy and that girl? Yeah, I mean, we all know some of that guys and some of that girls, right? That guy and that girl are those people who, when their name is brought up in conversation, everybody sees the dysfunction. Everybody sees like this elephant in the room that somehow it's invisible to them, right? 
This, this is the dysfunction. This is that blind spot that makes us that guy. It could be pride in us that's really hard to see. It could be just an insensitivity to people. It could be we always show up late. It could be that we're rude. I mean, it could be a million different things, but we all have these dysfunctions in us that are really hard to see. Now think about what community does for you. This is why it's not good for you to be alone. Community is a mirror for you. When you left the house this morning, you probably looked in the mirror at some point before you walked out, right? And why do you do that? Because you want to make sure your hair is not jacked up before you leave, right? Like you want to make sure that you don't have something wrong with your face, that you're, you're all out of way. You want to make sure that things aren't wrong when like, it, it produces clarity in you. And this is what, com- think about this. This is what community does for you. It holds a mirror up and says, do you see what I'm seeing? I know it's hard for you to see, but do you see what we're talking about here? Community provides clarity in your life. I love what C.J. Mahaney, he, he said this kind of talking through this idea. He said, spiritual growth and maturity simply will not happen apart from relationships in the local church, apart from having people as family, people that know you. In relationships, we develop, and listen to this, in relationships, we develop an accurate assessment of ourselves that is neither too favorable or too critical. This is what community does for you. This is like in Galatians chapter 2. I don't know if you remember this story, but um, uh, Peter is coming to Antioch, and Paul sees some things that he calls in, Gen- in, in Galatians 2.14, he says they're out of step with the gospel. They're just not in line with the gospel, who God's created Peter to be. And in verse 11, it says that Paul opposed Peter to his face. This is community functioning as a mirror to point out and and make sure Peter sees with clarity his life. Okay, now look at me. Everybody in here, look at me. If you don't have community in your life, you are destined to be that guy. You're destined to be that girl who just can't see yourself clearly. Everybody sees dysfunction, but it's hard for you to see. Community acts as this mirror. Okay, think about this, this as well. Community also provides correction for you. Like it, it spurs us on in obedience. So when you think about the mirror illustration, a mirror is not primarily meant to see what's wrong in you. A mirror is meant to, to show you what's wrong so you can correct what's wrong, right? This is what community does for us. It helps correct what's wrong in us. Okay, now think about your heart. If you'll just, if you'll just do a little bit of thinking about yourself and your heart, you're gonna see this. That you have a real tendency. Your heart is really prone to exchanging the greatness and goodness of God for lesser things. That your heart's really prone to that. This is why one pastor calls sin a suicidal exchange of what is infinitely beautiful and valuable for inferior and fleeting substitutes. That's what sin is. And we all have a real tendency to exchange what is infinitely beautiful and valuable God for things that are fleeting, th- things that are inferior, things that aren't, aren't God. They're, they're not, they don't fill us like God does, satisfy us like God does. We all have that tendency. Okay, now think about what community does for you. Community stands in between you and that dumb decision, right? Community stands in between you and them and says, don't do it. It pleads the gospel to you. It preaches the gospel to you. Community brings this correction. Okay, this is why in Hebrews chapter 3, 12 and 13, the writer of Hebrews says this. Take care. Like you need to be really watchful of your heart that there's not any unbelieving and this evil in your heart. You need to take care about that. You need to watch that. And then it goes on in verse 13 to say this. Community, people around you, brothers and sisters, exhort one another daily. 
encourage one another daily. Speak the gospel into one another daily while it's called today. And then it finishes with this. So you won't be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Because we all have this real tendency to be hardened by sin, to exchange what's ultimately valuable for fleeting and inferior pleasures. I, I always tell this story. I've told it two or three times, but I used to work with a guy that told this story of, of him in high school. He was dating a girl named Kathy. And he had just, God had just used him to bring another person to faith. So he's got this young guy that just, just walked into a relationship with Jesus. He's watching all this go down. So my buddy, he, he's dating Kathy and his new believing friend walks up to him and says this, I know why you're dating her. I know why you're doing it and walks off. Now think about that moment. This is what community does for you. When you're doing stupid things, right? I mean, we're making just dumb decisions. Community stands in between us and that dumb decision and says this, I know why you're doing it. There's something better than that. Community brings this correction into our life. If you don't have community into your life, you are forsaking one of God's primary tools in your life to make you like Jesus. It brings correction. Okay, and last one, think about this one when you think about community. Is it provides protection for you. Community provides protection. We've talked for the last several weeks about life is war, right? That there's a real enemy, a real devil that is waging a real war against real people, making it really, really difficult to live out the gospel. Okay, so we've been walking through this armor of God that God's called us to stand. And so we stand, we set up resistance to the devil in this war. We resist by putting on the armor. So we've walked through fastening the belt of truth, um, putting on the breastplate of righteousness, having our feet fitted and readied with the gospel of peace. And then last week, we, we ended it by talking about the shield of faith. Right? And the shield of faith is this idea of when you've got these flaming arrows aimed at you, that you hold up the shield of faith, you believe in all these gospel promises, who God is and what he's promised you in the gospel, and it quenches these flaming arrows. Now think about this scenario. What happens when you're, when you're resisting, like you've put on the armor, you're doing a good job, and all of a sudden you get kicked in the chest I, and let's just say it's this, it's this sort of a scenario. An unexpected death just levels you. A, a new disease just levels you, right? I mean, you get, you get hit with such force that it knocks you down. I mean, it's like a grenade that might explode in your life that like maims you, right? That knocks off an arm, blows up an arm, blows off a leg. I mean, it's that sort of a moment when, when you're in this war, you've set up resistance and then life happens. And life is going to happen for all of us. There's going to be moments. God promises on this side of heaven that life will be bloody and brutal. So this is happening for you at some point. That you're going to get knocked off of your feet. Now imagine this scenario. You get knocked down. You're wanting to wallow in your despair and die in the despair, right? And all of a sudden you look up and the, the sky has just come on fire with these flaming arrows. All aimed at you, right? And you look up and are thinking, great, I'm dead. Now think about the, think about the role of community in your life in that moment. When you have no capacity to hold up your own shield of faith, when your arm is cut off and you can't do it, when you are ready to die there, think about the role of community in your life. In that moment, arrows coming, community around you holds up their shield for you. See how that happens? That, that in the, in the midst of just getting body slammed in life, community around you holds up the armor above you, holds up the shield above you. And listen, if you don't have that in the midst of just deep moments of despair, your days are numbered. 
It makes it really difficult to survive those things. So community brings this great protection to you. So let me ask you this question. Do people know you? Do they know the inside of your life? Do they know that? It's not good for us to be alone. Okay, now think about this when it relates to sin in our life. Sin in our life is antisocial. It's anti-community. This is what sin produces in us. If you'll read on in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve sin. Our first parents sin, and then this is what they do. They put on fig leaves. They hide from each other. Then they hide from God. God calls to him, and they say, we've hidden ourselves. You remember that? Read on in Genesis chapter 3. They hide from each other. They hide from God. This is the effects of sin in our life. This is one of the reasons that it's so easy for you to walk in and out of church every week without people knowing you. Because sin has made you anti-community. It's made you anti-social. So think about how this works. Some of us, the reason we're not involved in good, deep relationships where people really know us is because of pride. So here's what pride says. I don't need people. I can do this thing on my own. I've got this handled. I'm a self-made man. I'm self-sufficient. I'm an independent man. I need no one, no, you know, nothing. This is pride. Like, sin creates this prideful, arrogant heart in us that makes it, like, it, it's really a delusion, right? That we don't need God and other people. So, so it forms this pride in us. Um, maybe it's, think about maybe as it relates to this, that it creates fear in us. Like this was Adam and Eve. They realized they were naked, needed to be covered. And so this is what, this is what sin does to us. It creates this fear that makes it really difficult to share deep things in us, right? That makes it really difficult to allow people past the the facade so they know who we really are. Isn't that a hard thing to do? To let people know the real you? Because in that moment, you're thinking this. Are they going to reject me? Are they still going to like me? Are they still going to let me in? Right? I mean, so this, this sin creates this anti-community. This antisocial thing in us makes us really scared of people. Think about this one, the bitterness that sin creates. Like a lot of us, the reason we haven't let people into our life is because in the past we have been let down by people. Almost every pastor I know keeps people at an arm's distance. And you know why that is? Because they've been let down so many times in the past. Now, I pray just from my own heart against that. But I think it's, I think it's a, a, a communal problem though. That's the same reason that, that sometimes you keep people at a distance, that you stiff-arm people. It's because we've been let down in the past, so we don't want to let people back in there, right? So, so this is all sin as an antisocial thing in us. And this is why it's so important that you hear the gospel week in and week out, because the gospel is the only solution to these problems. Like when you think about pride in your life, the gospel is the only thing that will uproot pride in you and let you see that you really do need God and you really do need people around you. The gospel is the only thing that will uproot fear of man in your life. It's the only thing that will uproot um, this idea that I'm scared to death of what people think of me. Because in the gospel, we've got acceptance from the one being God who really matters. So it uproots these things. This is why the gospel is so important. Maybe you could think of it this way. If you want to think about how deeply you've moved into the gospel, ask yourself the question, how deeply have I moved into relationship with people? This is a good litmus test for you on gospel awareness in your life. How, how much you have let people into your life is the exact same level that you have let the gospel into your life. The, the gospel coming into you moves you toward people. And so let me ask you this question again. Do people know you? Do they know the inside of your heart, the inside of your life? I mean, have you invited them into that? 
Okay, and, and maybe for the last thing here, let me, let me just throw this out. You need community. You need that. You need church as family, not church as a place. You need something more than a service. If this is all you're doing, you're going to have problems in life. You, you need church as family. Okay, so, so maybe you could think of it this way and we'll end with kind of this idea. Community has to be pursued on your end. You don't just stumble into deep relationships. You don't just stumble into to seeing people as family. That has to be a resolve that you have in your heart. That's got to be a relentless pursuit of your life to run after deep, authentic relationships. Okay, so for us, here's how this starts for us. We have home groups. That's where community, this is the atmosphere that community can be created for us. So if you've come here for long term and you're not involved in a home group, ask yourself the question, why is that? Why is that? Like what, what is underneath the surface on that? Because if you're not, you do not need a service. You need a family. That's what you need. Okay, so, so this is where it starts, home groups for us. Okay, but the, I want you to make sure this is clear in your mind. Home groups do not equal community. It just creates an atmosphere where community can be developed. You have to still, if you're in a home group, you have to relentlessly pursue people in that home group. You have to get to know people in that home group. You have to run after relationships in that home group. So I I want you to see this. I'm putting the ball in your court. At the end of the day, I'm telling you this. You need community. It's not good for you to be alone. You need people who know the inside of your heart. And you've got to run after that with a relentless pursuit. So here's how I want to end it. I want to give you four community-determining questions Four questions that you can look at these. If your answers are no to these questions, here's what it means. You do not have good community in your life yet. The the church for you is still a place. Church for you is not yet a family. Okay, four questions. Number one, community determining questions. Number one, does anyone know your biggest and current struggles, your sinful tendencies? Does anybody in your life know that? Men, do other men know that? Ladies, do other ladies know that, that you're walking with? Number two, have you invited people into your life to see how how your marriage is, to get a pulse for how you parent, how you spend, how you live? Have you invited people to look at your life? And then second part of that, and have you invited them, given them permission to speak freely into that? Have you invited people in, given them the permission to speak into it? Number three, do you ma- how do you make decisions? Do you make decisions as an isolated individual or in a communal context? Here's what I mean by that. Take the last big decision that you made. Did that decision sound like this? You and your wife, you and your husband um, talking. Does it sound good to you? Sounds good to you? Sounds good to me? Let's do it. Or did you take that to people who know your sinful tendencies, know, know, where, know where you're prone to struggle, and say, what do y'all think about this? Speak into this. Say, when, we're, when we see church as family, we start to make decisions in community, right? Okay, here's the last one for you. Number four. Over the last six months, has anyone challenged or asked hard questions on the way you're living, thinking, or feeling? Over the last six months, has anyone done that? Okay, so here's what I'm telling you. If, if all four of those things are no, here's what that means. Church is still a place. It's still a thing that you come to, to to hear a sermon and to hear some songs. 
And we are wanting to pull you so hard into seeing it as a family, where people know your life, where you're not alone. I'll close it with this story. Have a pastor friend, a few, um, this has been a, a couple of years ago, he was preaching, he went back home to preach at the church he, he used to pastor. So this is a former church going back home to preach at him. And in that service, um, right beforehand, he had a lady walk up to him and said this to him, I, I need to ask for your forgiveness. I've been mad at you, literally so angry at you for the last five years. And he asked the question, why is that? Her response, because when, when my husband and I, when we divorced, our family needed you and you were not there for us. So this is the conversation. Now, um, my pastor friend was just talking about the, the hurt that created in, in him on two levels. First level was this, to know that he's trying to love people really well, and yet he still knows that in the midst of trying to do that, he's still going to hurt people. He's still going to be an instrument of pain. So I want you to get this idea and make sure this is real clear for you, that families still hurt each other. We're still sinful people. We're all in need of a lot of grace. So you walk into the church's family, you're walking into sinful people who you're going to sin against and they're going to sin against you. But here, here's the second thing, and we'll finish with this. As he's thinking about this, here's where his hurt really goes to for this lady. That she is like so many people who live hurt and disappointed when they, when they think about the church. Because in these moments of crisis, the church hasn't been there for them. And here's why the church was not there for them. Because they viewed connecting to a church as sitting in a service. As opposed to running after relationships. Now listen to this. Here's the problem with with community. The, The trouble with community is when you're in trouble, it's too late. If you don't have church as family before a crisis hits, you can't just magically have a family when it hits or after it hits. Does that make sense? You've got to have that beforehand. If you want, if you want relationships and meaningful community and friendships when you need them most, then listen to me. You better be developing those things now. You better put those things on now. You better be working toward those now. So the ball's in your court. You need it. I'm telling you, it's not good for man to be alone. And I pray that we will be a people who pursue it. Amen? Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for these families who who are here. And God, I pray for us as a church body. God, I pray that you would help us see that church is not a place that we go. We don't go to church. We go to be with a family. We go to be with the church. So God, I pray that that would be reflected. That shift in thinking would be reflected in the way we think. God, I pray that it would be reflected in a pursuit of relationships, that we would be relentless in that that we would see that it is not good for us to live alone, that you have made us to be in relationship with you and other people. So God, help us in that. God, I pray for the men in this room that there would be other men who know them, who know them, that they would open up their life for good correction in the context of community. God, I pray that for our ladies, that there would be people who know our ladies, 
that they would open their life up to other, to other women in the Stonegate family to, to speak into their life. God, I pray that when we answer the question, do people know us? That our answer would be yes. That people know our sinful tendencies, our patterns. That they, they're actively speaking the gospel into those things. That they're standing between us and dumb decisions that we're prone to make. So God, will you grow us in that? We need much grace to go there. We need your help to go there. God, will you drill the gospel into our heart so we're not overly concerned about what people think. We're not scared of people. That this idol in our heart is no longer present, this fear of man, but that we are running after these authentic, open relationships. That faith is no longer private. That is a sinful tendency. It's no longer private, but it's public. It's communal. It's corporate. It's, it's lived out in the context of the family. This is what the gospel produces. So God help us. We need you in that. It's in your great name that we pray. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church, located in Midlothian, Texas. For service times, additional audio and study resources, as well as information about our church, please visit us at stonegate-church.com.